It really is good to be with you and just excited about this morning and just seeing what God has done and what God is doing. Only God can do it, how God is working in people's lives. God is making disciples in this place and there's no other business for us than that because when we make disciples as a church, we have everything that we need across the board and most importantly, God is glorified which is what we want. God is pleased with true disciples. And that's been our focus this whole week. And we're going to kind of put a bow on it this morning, but that actually isn't really true because this is Midtown. Do we ever put a bow on discipleship? But I'm just talking about putting a bow on it as it relates to D week, our first one. And, and let's just say it won't be the last about that. But if you haven't found your place yet, we're going to be in John chapter eight today. As you are making your way there, Father, I want to thank you so much for all that you have done and all that you're doing here at Midtown. And it truly is just a testimony of your marvelous grace, your incomprehensible mercy, God, your faithfulness, your goodness. And we do acknowledge that it is you, not us. And we do genuinely thank you and we do plead this morning that you would continue to do what you have been doing. That God, your hand would continue to rest on this place. And Lord, as long as your hand is resting on this place, we're always good. But Lord, if it's not, we're in real trouble. God, would you help us this morning as we come face to face with you in your word? God, would you help us to crush the distractions? and listen to what the Spirit of God would say to us from your word. And that God, we wouldn't just be hearers, but we'd be doers. In Jesus' great name, amen. So when you talk about John chapter eight, it is one of the most definitive chapters on the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll find this phrase eight times in John chapter eight where it says, I am. I am, it's very powerful. And so in John chapter eight, we see that Jesus, he says, I am the light of the world. And then of course in verse 58, you get this bombshell of a declaration regarding his deity before Abraham was, I am, right? Very powerful, that is, listen, it's not who he was, it's who he is, I am. Now, of course, the religious leaders of Israel found that to be very vexing, but Christ made it very clear, and he makes it clear here in John chapter eight that if you're going to be saved, you must agree with him regarding who he is. Look at verse 24, Jesus says, I say therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Again, the religious leadership as a whole didn't agree with that, but not all people disagreed with it. And that's where we pick up the narrative today in terms of our focus here in verse 30. It says, and as he spake these words, many believed on him. Now, if you have a modern Bible this morning, you're not using a King James Bible, most likely that is translated for you as believed in him. 
And I would submit to you that I do think that you lose something in that mistranslation, right? Because the phrase believe on, it has in view making contact with, okay? So let's take my Bible for an example. If I take my Bible and I place it on this pulpit, the Bible now has made contact with the pulpit. They're in a relationship together. They've made contact. As a matter of fact, the Bible now is trusting on the pulpit to support it. This Bible is believing on this pulpit. This Bible cannot stand on its own. And so you do lose something in that. It's very, very critical. This week, we've given our attention to being disciples indeed true disciples. But for that to even be a consideration, it starts with you believing on Jesus. It starts there. You must believe that he is who he says that he is. And by believing that, the Bible tells you that you also must confess that with your mouth. You must confess that belief that you do believe that he is, in fact, the Lord Jesus and that God raised him from the dead. You must confess that to be saved. And that's where being a disciple indeed starts. So if you have never made contact with Jesus, praise God you're here today, or you're, you're, you're viewing online or whatever your listening situation is, wonderful. The Bible has excellent news for you. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that you can make contact with Jesus. He wants to make contact with you. This is why he came and died for your sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day because he wants to make contact with you. Will you receive the invitation? Sadly, Church history is littered with people who have made contact with Jesus. They have believed on him. They have believed on the gospel, but they started and stopped there. That's tragic. Sure, being a disciple indeed starts with the gospel, but it can't stop there. And what Jesus says next serves as our blueprint of what a full conversion looks like to him and what it ought to look like to us. His response to those who believed on him is identical to his response to those who believe on him today. Look at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, we have an obvious but critical observation in verses 30 and 31. And the observation is this, the, the, the topic changes from verse 30 to 31. The topic in verse 30 is salvation. But the topic in verse 31 is discipleship. And that's anything, that, that is not an insignificant point. 
not at all, especially as it relates to what we're talking about today, because listen, this is one of the common errors that is made over and over and over again, and the error is this. Salvation and discipleship are one and the same. They are not. For starters, there are two completely different words, so they can't be identical in meaning. So salvation and discipleship are not synonymous terms. We must get this. Those who complete Foundations 2 here with us on LFBI are required to read a book titled Design for Discipleship. And the book, what it does is, is it presents a very sobering perspective on discipleship. It, it really is an excellent read. Obviously, it's a book written by a man, so it's not inspired, so I'll make sure I qualify that. But it is a useful tool in terms of what we're trying to accomplish with our students at that stage of their spiritual growth and development from a leadership perspective. And so one of the things that Dwight Pentecost says in this book that I think is critical for us, and it really captures what I'm trying to communicate to you now, he just says it much better. He says this, there is a vast difference between being saved and being a disciple. Not all men who are saved are disciples, although all who are disciples are saved. This is what we're getting at. We, we have to respect the difference. We must, right? In addition to there being a, a change in topic from salvation to discipleship, notice what Jesus says even about discipleship because it's not just discipleship. And he doesn't just say disciples. What does he say? He speaks of disciples indeed. I mean, this is serious. Now, this is the one and only time that you find this phrase in Scripture, disciples indeed. But listen, we can't even attempt to have a decent conversation about discipleship without this phrase. It is foundational to true discipleship. It is. And as he's faithfully done, Christ, what he does is he lifts the guesswork out of what it means. Because really, to be a disciple indeed means that you are a true disciple. You're not a fraud or fake. You're not playing at it. You are a true disciple, a disciple indeed. This is what he's getting at. And I'll tell you, as much as uh, Christians have gotten really good at playing church over the years, we do as well of a job in playing discipleship. And what we do is, is we, we come face to face with what the Bible presents about discipleship, and we say, well, that's too radical, that's too intense, it's unrealistic, it's unreasonable. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to just go and create my own definition, my own paradigm for what I think this ought to look like, and then place the label of disciple on me. And Christ and everybody else is going to be okay with that. I mean, people do this all the time. We're given several descriptions of what a true disciple is throughout the gospel, but I will tell you, or the gospels, but what I will tell you is these two core conditions that we see that are found right here in John chapter 8, 
verses 31 and 32, all of them will fall under one of these categories. We're going to see just how clear and simple it is. If you, go, if you are a disciple indeed, or if you are going to be one, based on what we see here in John 8, 31 and 32, it is unmistakable. It is very clear. The first condition is found in verse 31. If ye continue in my word. The sad reality is, is so many don't continue after the gospel. And that's tragic. I mean, that is really tragic. Listen, I have, I have met these people over the years. And listen, I don't say that from a place of arrogance. I really don't. But I have met believers over the years who truly, I mean, they truly are born again. They truly met Christ. They truly got saved. The problem, however, was that they were never discipled. And so they never grew up spiritually. And so, yes, they got saved. They, 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 they trusted Christ, but that's it. And, I, and I, I have listened to their speech. I have watched their behavior, and it looks many times just like an unsaved person. They go to church. Their perspective on things is very worldly. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Saved, but not a disciple indeed. But this word continue gives us the first condition of true discipleship. This word continue simply means to stay. So listen, if we're going to be disciples indeed, if you are a disciple indeed, listen, a disciple indeed will stay in the word. They don't start with the gospel and stop. Praise the Lord, the gospel is glorious. It is the glorious gospel and it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Amen? Praise God for that. But listen, please listen. The rest of the word of God is as glorious. It's all glorious. It's the eternal, pure, perfect, powerful, awesome, wonderful word of God. You don't just start with the gospel and that's it. Continue. You stay in the word. We can't stop with the God. Listen, God forbid that at Midtown Baptist Temple and the churches, by the grace of God, for the glory of God, that we start, God forbid that we would lead people to Christ and that's it. That has to grieve the Lord. It must. But notice how specific this condition is. Jesus says, my word. My word. Matthew 7, 29 says, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. One historian described the lectures of the scribes in the synagogue, he, listen, I love it. He described it as 
He says, they were absolutely trifling. <laughs> they were trifling. Why were they trifling? Because all they did was just talk about tradition. All they did was quote different uh, commentators of the law, different doctors of religious talk. They were trifling. There was no power, there was no life, there was no authority in any of it. They weren't based on the word of God. So uh, to those Jews that believed on him, Jesus was clear, listen, you're not continuing in that trifling garbage. You're continuing in my word. That's a big difference. They will continue in his word. Listen, listen, very carefully, I'm going to tell you now. Uh, a dead giveaway, a telltale sign of someone who is a believer. They are saved, but a telltale sign that they are not a disciple indeed is they will be quick to tell you what they think or what someone else thinks, not what the Word of God says. In my opinion, I believe, I feel, my father said this, my grandfather said that, my professor said this, so-and-so on TV said that, but it's not book, chapter, verse. The Word of God says this. They're not established in the Word of God. That hurts. Now, it's important that we clarify what we mean by continuing in the Word. You have in your notes, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you are a disciple indeed, if you are continuing in the word, it becomes your ultimate source of nourishment, doesn't it? Amen. It's not just some book that you casually pay attention to because it's Sunday. And you don't make contact with it again until next Sunday. No, it becomes your ultimate source for nourishment. Jesus declares in John chapter 6 that he says, I am the bread of life. Other words, you can't make it without me. You see, what food is to the body, the word of God is to the soul and the spirit of a disciple indeed. They have to have it. They cannot live without it, nor do they attempt to. Uh, for them to live to, and thrive mentally, socially, and emotionally, listen, to them the Word of God is more than necessary. It's more than necessary. And for the disciple, indeed, it, listen, it, it's not, listen, it's not portions of God's Word that they're interested in. What did Jesus say? What does he say in Matthew 4, 4 here? Every word. It's all of God's word. That a disciple indeed says, I have to have all of it. Listen, even those portions, even those verses, even those pieces of scripture that cut me deep, that get in my face, that get in my business, that 
shake me up, that challenges my thinking and my opinions and all of that, I got to have it. I must have it. Save people, though, who aren't disciples indeed. Can go days, weeks, months without it. They couldn't live without checking Facebook a hundred times a day, or Twitter, or Instagram. They couldn't make it without making sure they're caught up on their show that they're watching on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. But days, weeks, months. I made it this far. It's all right. Praise the Lord. You knew the fire was coming, right? Listen, this is good, guys. Disciples, indeed, do not miss meals in the Word of God. They do not. They don't go days, weeks, months. They don't miss meals in the book. Their soul and their spirit says, I just can't make it. Like, man, I lose, I lose vitality, I lose joy, I lose peace, I lose power, I lose strength, my outlook tanks, I'm a horrible husband, I'm a horrible parent, I'm a horrible everything. Why? Because, man, I, I'm not eating. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus goes on, he says, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God. Okay. Many saved people. Yes, absolutely. They hear the word of God. But this is where a disciple indeed, this is where now their interest gets very peaked and this is where they live and keep it. And keep it. See, it becomes our ultimate source for enrichment. Uh, listen, I know for a fact, because I know what the Bible says, I know for a fact that God desires to bless and enrich our lives. God tells us that. I can give you several places. Where, and I'm not talking about some shallow prosperity. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you for sure, God desires to bless your life. But I also know that there are some people who are genuinely questioning if that's really true. Because to them, the blessings of God, this whole spiritual enrichment that I'm talking about, it just seems so elusive. I mean, what do you have to actually do to really be a recipient of the wonderful blessings of God. I mean, who can really get those? Well, according to Jesus, listen very carefully, anyone who is willing to hear and obey his word. 
There it is. Some of you will sit through this message, and then you're going to leave out of this room and go to your Sunday fellowship. By the way, if you are visiting Midtown or you're attending here regularly, we're glad you're here, glad you're in this service. But let me just encourage you, if you really want to get a taste of who we really are, you got to jump in with us in one of our Sunday fellowships, okay? Uh, by the way, if you are a Sunday fellowship leader in the room, would you stand, Brandon, Mitch, just so you see. So if you got questions, okay, Chris Best, sorry, over here, Brandon, all right. So if you got questions, see one of these guys, okay? All right, thank you. But would you guys agree that if you really want to experience MBT, you got to jump in with us in one of our Sunday fellowships, right? It's a good time, man. But you'll sit through this message. You'll sit with, with Pastor Bess, Midge, Brandon. You'll sit through their great teachings. But the reality is, is tomorrow you'll still feel very deflated and defeated. You heard the word of God. You're hearing what God is saying to you right now through the Word of God and the Spirit of God that indwells you. You're going to hear what these men are going to teach you. But why are you empty? Why are you flat? Why are you discouraged? Why are you down? Because the blessing is found in hearing and keeping what you hear. Disciples indeed have come to learn that life works really well. I mean really well when they obey the word of God. And that explains how and why a person can be genuinely saved and miserable. Because only obedience to God's word enriches your life. That's it. I know for a fact just in a room of this size and the amount of traffic that we get online and all of that, I'm certain that there are some people right now who are deeply unhappy. Deeply. Sour. Negative. Angry. Bitter cantankerous, discontent. And if you ask them why, they can tell you, well, it's my spouse. If you knew who I was married to, it's my manager at work. I really report to the Antichrist. I know who he is. I have unmasked his identity. I can tell you all about him. You know, I just can't seem to, to just get the right house that I really want. If I just described you would, you, would you listen to me very carefully? Listen, this is, this is so simple, okay? Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Over the next three weeks, over the next three weeks, trust God to give you one verse from his word for each day. So you're going to get up and you're going to sit before his feet. You can read through. Mark talked about the Psalms. I pointed to your brother. You guys look just alike. But Mark talked about the Psalms. We're going through that right now. 
Okay, you can read the Psalms. You can read the Gospel of John. It's outstanding. I mean, good night. It's the Word of God. You can read 1 John. You can read Philippians. It talks about joy. But for three weeks, I put up two fingers. Three weeks, okay? <laughs> three weeks. You're going to meet with God every morning. God, would you give me one verse that you want me to think on today, that you want me uh, to, to, to pray about today, and one verse, Lord, that, that, that you want me to live out. God, by your grace, for your glory, I will do it. I will not make excuses. I, 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 I will not reject it. When I know for a fact that your Holy Spirit has spoken to me very clearly from your word, whatever that is, I will just do it. If you do that for just three weeks, you will be stunned at how enriched your life has become. That simple. Okay, John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Uh, when you're continuing in the word of God, it becomes your ultimate source for development. Uh, sanctify means to make holy. We understand that, which God does at salvation. So praise God. At salvation, God sanctifies us. He sets us apart. We are holy in Christ positionally. Praise the Lord. Thankful for that. I could not have done that on my own. But as we keep reading, we get to 1 Peter, and Peter tells us something. Peter tells us to be holy in all manner of conversation. Wait a minute, I thought you already said that I'm holy. You are in Christ. But what Peter is getting at is that your walk needs to match that. How you are living, how you are walking, needs to match your position in Christ, which is holy. Well, how does that happen? Well, that can only happen as we develop in and through God's word. That's how that happens. That's how sanctification happens. This is why we place such a very high premium on the word of God in this place. Because no one can grow in holiness apart from God's word. Can't. You're not going to develop. You're not going to grow here in this area. Next, it becomes our ultimate source of government. At a very basic level, government means the exercising of authority. Jesus solidifies God's word as that. It is the authoritative truth. Thy word is truth. That's it. And disciples indeed, listen, that's how they roll. They live under the authority of the government of God's word. It is always true and right. And if I can just share with you, one of the things that you learn over time one of the things you learn in ministry from a leadership perspective is you learn how dangerous assumptions are. They are dangerous. And sometimes they, they, they really come crashing down. Because between MBT and the churches that we've planted, I can't, 
If I had to put a number on how many times that we all say or have said that God's word is the absolute final authority, I, 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 would, I, would, I would say safely it's in the several thousands. Would you agree? Several thousands. And typically when you say it, you'll, you'll get some amens. I mean, you're, you're not going to get any pushback in a place like this. So again, I just assume that, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that we're, we're Midtown, we're Lee Summit, we're Tampa, we're Boston. Yeah, we all believe that God's word is final authority. And then you start watching people make decisions. And you go, oh, wait a minute. No, they don't believe that. <laughs> no, the word of God is not their authority. No, their life isn't being governed by it. They're just giving lip service to it. But clearly, if God's word was their final authority, they would not have made that decision. <laughs> because that is completely anti-word of God. In the preceding point, we saw how enrichment comes through obedience. But here's what we must see. Disobedience to God's word is always an authority issue. It's always an authority issue. It is. That's what it comes down to. You are the final authority, not this. If God's word is not your final authority, you will never consistently obey it, which means you are not and you cannot be a disciple indeed. Because any time there is a disagreement between what you want to do and what God tells you to do, if God's word is not your final authority, what are you going to do? What you want to do. And then wonder why you're so frustrated. Why you're so empty. Why you're so sour. Why are you so depressed? Well, <laughs> you're at war with God. And you can't win. Jesus continues this thought through verses 31 and 32. Look at verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if knowledge of the truth is connected with continuing in the word, and it has to be because verse 31 doesn't end with a period, does it? then we can't just be talking about Bible facts. Now, that's not what is meant here by knowing the truth. What is implied here is that to know the truth is to know Jesus, who is the truth. It's not just information, but it's once again, you've made contact. And you are continuing in that contact. That's the context here. And that is what makes you free. But when God saves us, what does he do? Well, one of the things that he does is he delivers us from the bondage that we were in in the world. As unbelievers separated from God because of our sinful condition, we were not born in a free situation. We were not born in a free state spiritually, so to speak. 
And this point leads us to the second condition of being a disciple indeed, because listen, a disciple indeed stays in the Word, but listen very, very, very carefully. They also stay out of the world. Because there's no freedom there. Remember, that was bondage, and it hasn't changed. They stay in the Word, and they stay out of the world. Would you consider what God had to say regarding laws for kings in Deuteronomy 17, verse 16? But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. A picture of the world. God's people were not to return there. They were and are to stay out of Egypt. God does not, did not want his people there. And this is a, this is a massive focus in John's gospel. It's a massive focus of Christ. Uh, between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find the word world mentioned combined 33 times. In John's gospel, 80. This is a big focus. And it must be for us as well. Jesus made it clear that his disciples were not of this world. That was true of the 12, and it must be true of us. John 17, 14 to 16, Jesus says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus gave his disciples the word of God. And that is critical because a true disciple will be hated by the world. If you are a disciple indeed, this world cannot and will not love you. It will hate you. Because of the fact that Christ is your Lord and Master, and the world hates him. And the only way to endure that hate that comes at you from many different avenues, family, uh, co-workers, neighbors, you name it, the only way to handle that is you've got to continue in the Word. You've got to stay in the Word. But if we're paying attention this morning, the world's hate, notice what is our context here in John 17 as Jesus is praying. Who's he praying for? He is praying for, listen, his disciples. They are the target of the world's hate. Why do I mention that? Because, listen, you can be saved and not hated by the world. You see that? But if you are a disciple indeed, you will be hated by the world. The world doesn't have a problem with you coming to church on Sunday. As long as you're thinking, speaking, and living like them on Monday. They're not going to hate you. 
But the minute you say, I'm going to stay in the word and I'm going to stay out of the world, it's coming. And this is a truth that I've come to know. We've come to know as your pastors and leaders. Believers who choose not to stay in the word miss the world. They miss the world. It's true today, and it, it was true of God's people in the Old Testament. Consider Numbers 11, verse 5. It's God's people. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. For some in this room, and I have nobody in mind, I promise you, but I just know numbers, some viewing. If you could be totally honest, you miss Egypt, don't you? You miss it. The parties, the people, the pleasures, you miss it. You desire it. You want to go back. Why? Because you're not staying in the Word. But let me ask you, as, if, as you're thinking about Egypt, let me, let me ask you, um, do you remember the shame and the pain that you felt when you looked in the mirror the next day from the night before, when all of the stuff wore off and then it dawned on you what you did night, last night? Do you miss that? What about all those legal fees that you racked up to pay your lawyer to address the mess that you created back in Egypt when you were back there? Do you, do you miss that? What about being terrified and being in knots to get the result of that medical test from your doctor because of how you were living? Do you miss that? Let me ask you a question. Was Egypt really that good to you? Was it? No. Finally, a believer who is not continuing in the world as a disciple, I'm sorry, a believer who is not continuing in the word as a disciple indeed, will return to the world. Would you notice, it's not a typo, I put a question mark there after believer. Because you have to question yourself at a minimum. If you're saying that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are defiantly choosing not to follow him or come after him as a disciple indeed, 
which means it's just a matter of time before you go back to Egypt. Are you really saved? I can't answer that for you. What I can tell you, though, is there's something significantly wrong. And at a minimum, you need to examine if you have truly made contact with Christ. So the choices are simple this morning as we close. Some of you might need to believe on Jesus today. You need to make contact and praise God. His arms are open, his heart is wide open. You have a chance to do that. Don't be embarrassed, don't be afraid, none of that. We'll have people here to help you with that. There's nothing but love for you in this room. So don't be afraid. I won't even talk, if you're like, man, dude, just watching you and how you're sweating, I don't wanna come up there and have to deal with you. You won't have to deal with me, I promise. All right, we'll have people up here who don't look as scary as me. Don't let that get in the way. But if you truly have made contact with Christ, are you staying in the word? Are you continuing? Praise God, man, we, you're seeing what's happening in D1 and Foundations 2 and 3 and LFBI. Let me ask you a question, why aren't you in that? What are you waiting for? Foundations 2 and 3 starts this Saturday, so is LFBI. You've been dragging your feet, what are you doing? Let's go. God's not done with you. God wants to equip you. God wants to use you in a greater capacity for his glory. Let's go. Don't be afraid. It's not too difficult. Listen, whatever help you need. I, some of you are like, man, I haven't been to school. I haven't wrote papers. All that. Don't worry about any of that. Brandon's got you covered. Okay? If you want it, God will give it to you. Those are the choices, and there's a third. You ready? I just get it, man. I understand it. You can return to the world. And some of you are on your way already, and the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is saying today, turn around. Continue in the Word not this direction. You don't want to go back there. It hasn't changed. You're not missing anything. You're going to be missing a whole lot more if you go this way instead of this way. So my question to you this morning is, which way are you going to go? Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word, how clear it is how clear the choices are. Lord, for your glory, by your grace, for our edification, help us to choose correctly. If we haven't made contact with you, God, help us to receive the gracious offer that you've put before us and just walk down the aisle this morning and have a conversation with a loving believer in Christ who will lead us to just make contact with you, to meet you. And for those of us, Lord, who are, would say we are disciples, Lord, please just use this morning as just a, a tune-up, if you would, to say, yes, I got to stay in the Word, and I got to stay out of the world.
And Lord, for those who have made their way or are making their way in the world, God, help them not to harden their hearts. Help them to say, okay, God, I'm hearing you, and I'm going to turn around this morning. They, too, can come forward, and we would love to encourage and pray with them. All to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.